This is a podcast collaboration between Digital Built Australia podcast and the Digital Twin Fan Club podcast. And we've been having a nice little meander, but I think it's probably time we did our introductions. I'm Henry Femby-Taylor, the entire production team of the Digital Twin Fan Club podcast. Hi, I'm Jonathan Monkley, the life and soul of the Digital Twin Fan Club. Gavin Cottrell from Digital Built Australia. Uh, honorary Australian, now been in Australia for 18 years, originally from London. And Adam Beck, the other co-host of Digital Built Australia, the true Australian. Holding up yes. the end for Australia there. Good That's on you. right. Good That's on right. you. Good on you, Adam. So there's been a lot happening around the world in terms of, you know, the, the digital built environment. And in the UK, you know, there's been a lot of talk about digital twins and then recently cyber physical infrastructure and I know there's a lot going on in in Oz. You know, I kind of see that there's this state development of digital twins and things, but it's always interesting to see what the external perception is and what's going on in our different regions. And that was really Gavin's idea for this podcast when we spoke. Mm. Was like, you know, mm. let's let's trade some notes. Let's talk about what's going on in our different regions because I feel like there's nothing quite like comparing notes like this because. I don't think what it looks like from the outside is what it looks like from the inside. Yeah, I think we're interested as well here in about the sort of current state in the UK. I'll give a bit of a, a start on the current state of what's happening here in digital twin land. For those who don't know, Australia is a, a federation. And what that means is there's three layers of government. There's a Commonwealth government, which is a national government. We have a state government in terms of our states and territories, and we have cities and local uh, government authorities. So what we're seeing at the moment is there's no national approach to digital twin currently within Commonwealth government, but we're seeing leadership from the New South Wales government, from Victoria, Queensland, and Western Australia. They've all got a program of sorts in some sort of shape and size. New South Wales and Victoria have got the most mature and longest running programs over the last few years. And it's been borne out a lot around the, the spatial community has driven the uh, the drivers, but now that's starting to move into, into other areas. Interestingly enough, we're already uh, seeing a lot of examples around cities, which is probably one of the difference that we probably see from what, well, what I see from the UK and from Australia is a lot more city development around digital twin, around how you deliver better service delivery and less focused on asset, CapEx, OpEx, as an example. So City of Melbourne, Greater Hobart and other cities are starting to look at uh, the, the region as well. And um, the uh, New Zealand as well with Wellington, uh, Marlborough, Auckland uh, uh, as well. So I think what would be really interesting to hear about, you've obviously CDBB's gone into finished its five-year mission, official, and now in terms of hearing about the, the Department of Transport's new strategic vision and roadmap that it launched. So, yeah, really keen to understand what, what's happened post-CDBB, sort of, and now we've got this Department of Transport. Is, is that the extent of what's happening? Oh, well, I can give you a complete rundown. I'm, I'm the guy for this, aren't I, Jonathan? Henry, you go first and take top down, and then I'll go into, like, what's happened at kind of a delivery level. Sure. Yeah, and I think that's a good way to take it because I think they they aren't as aligned as they should be. How industry is changing specifically the built environment and digital twins and how policy is changing. So at the government level, we have EPSRC, the Engineering and Physical Sciences Research Council and Innovate UK, who were the ones who are now, well, have always been kind of funding from the innovation side, digital twinning in the UK. Uh, the National Digital Twin still exists and is running a demonstrator in the Isle of Wight. So it's doing a proof of concept, uh, looking at multiple use cases. And then we've obviously got the climate resilience demonstrator that came out of CDBB that's still going inside uh, the Connected Places Catapult and the Digital Twin Hub. So they are, as far as I know, still using synthetic data, which is a big issue for us in terms of proving the value that you know we need to turn these into long-term systems. So things like the National Underground Asset Register have gone into beta now. So that's actually being rolled out, you know, this mapping of underground assets, which is not a digital twin, but is digitization of infrastructure. And that's pretty close. So EPSRC are funding loads of different digital twin things, and they are looking at an update in, in several areas. One of them is the Department for Transport, 
Another one is in banking. Other is in air traffic control. And uh, I believe the other is also in healthcare. And I've got kind of links into all of these. So EPSRC are funding some big ticket items. Innovate UK is funding cyber physical infrastructure right now. So a lot of previously digital twin projects that were going on, because there's lots of research going on, but it's very difficult to kind of find that there's no one source as of yet for finding out where everything is. It's not all located in one place. So you have to know. So the Department for Transport are doing this kind of uh, big, big project. And um, I've spoken to some interesting people there. I met them at Connected Digital Twin Summit at the Connected Places Catapult last week. And uh, he was actually uh, also at the UK Digital Twin event on the Tuesday that I hosted as well. So in, in terms of what's going on from a UK perspective, there isn't that holistic narrative, I would say. I think that's one of the one of the problems is that there is lots of cool stuff going on, but it's mm. very often uh, like there's a uh, a network plus just been awarded to the Alan Turing Institute. So they're looking at bringing together innovators, et cetera. But it's very often, as is often the case in the UK, it's still very research organization focused, you know, like universities and and things. And that connection into departments happens kind of on a a case-by-case basis so there is lots going on the air traffic control one it's going to be really interesting the uh, transport stuff is going to be really cool and you know there's there's all these kind of separate research projects going on i have a long list of them but this idea of which seems to be where the narrative has gone now into cyber physical infrastructure which kind of includes robotics and includes AI more, is going to require connecting digital twins together more, but the digital twins need to exist first. And I think mm. that is sometimes where the UK does its its thing where it leads from the front, it goes in all out, and then has to deal with the legacy of what it built. You know, I'm thinking like the Victorian railways, right? Absolutely pioneering for its time. Um, but if you came back around and did it again, you'd do it a different way. And I think um, we've not got to that point yet because things are still changing very fast here. But there is a lot of kind of, instead of, you know, it being a federation where you have three layers of government, you know, we have the UK government, then we have the regions, there is no English government. And then you have the regulators and you have each department. So cabinet office, treasury, kind of at the top. And then you have all the departments underneath that. And then you might have all the regions for those departments underneath that. Or you might have major projects for those departments underneath that. So even with that apparently less layers of complexity, there are lots of layers of complexity to what's going on. And we have a lot to do to tie that all together, I would say, Um, because I don't think that it's not easy to kind of communicate what's going on like that to the wider world. So there you go. That's what's going on. Hey, I'm confused. Stuff. I'm confused now. I'm confused now, Henry. You love that. But <laughs> Henry, actually, Open Data Institute, am I yes. am I right in observing that they recently walked into the room on Digital Twin? It was quite interesting to see them pop up the other week with the education partnership or whatever it is. Is, is that or did I miss something over the past well, few I, years? I can tell you I can tell you exactly what happened and you can draw your inferences of, of what it means. Um, so there was some funding from Innovate UK for cyber physical infrastructure capability development. Uh, that went to six catapults and I've just completed an independent review of that and that's gone to Innovate UK. The Connected Places Catapult, um, who were the only catapult who developed training materials, developed uh, training uh, materials with the... Uh, digital twin hub connected places catapult and and that was how they kind of were in effectively i've been talking to the open data institute for a while they are for my mind the the biggest experts in this from a bridging of academia and industry so they've been kind of in the wings and they, they've often mm. get consulted and they often support delivery of things but uh yeah they, they this is the gemini alliance announcement jonathan you remember mm. you were you were joking about this on mm. twitter because it's like hey another one like what does this one do <laughs> you know I, I said the same to gavin <laughs> Well, as, as so, so what all the CDBB stuff done and all that kind of policy level excitement, and it was a shame the funding went. But every single project I work on now, the term digital twin gets thrown into the tender or the 
or it ends up in the requirements. And it, I think it has created a buzz and an excitement for the idea of it, but I, th- I still think it's very much in like a prototype stage for, for projects and clients. Like, um, you, yeah, I've got, we've, so within my, my, my day job, we've probably got four projects that are working towards delivering a digital twin for a vertical asset, which is very much aligned to what a smart asset is really, but um, linking in some of the concepts of, of real-time data or, or when when we when we cried data, but the business case is still very hard to nail down. I think that's one of the issues with things like credo. It's like, oh, we're going to save loads of money, but you need to prove it and you need to be able to physically demonstrate. It, which is why it's good that it's kind of trickled down. The software vendors very much jumped on the gravy train of starting to sell digital twin platforms, and that created a huge amount of confusion, particularly in the UK, with every single software vendor instantly starting to offer a digital twin platform when in reality it was miles away from it because it was either like a spinny web platform or some kind of virtual solution for pictometry or something like that. And that created a lot of confusion on the core face of delivery of projects because oh, people were buying digital twin platforms when in reality it was just a rebranded point cloud tool, mm-hmm. um, which which has made things painful for people. But the the delivery of digital twins is starting to happen. Um, I think on a core for of projects in in small pockets, but I still think the policy piece is is up in the air because there's a huge amount of confusion on the core face of industry of of what it all means. It's a moving funding pot, which which is hurting people's brains. It's like oh, it's re- been rebranded again. What does that mean? And and it's changed again. As something I noticed last week that it changed from Gemini principles to principles, and I was like, well. The Gemini principles are very well embedded within people's brains. Doesn't need to change names. That's that's not helping. So no. are people in the UK reliant on governments with that top-down approach? Are they do they sit around and waiting for that? Or are they just cracking on and in their respective organizations and just getting on with it, whether it's like Highways England or HS2, these some of the new power station works going on? Is it a lot of the excellent work's being done in those big mega organizations and projects and Forget about whatever the UK government doing, and we just we've got a problem. We've got problems to solve, and we're going to do it through with digital data and using twins to help solve that. I remember early on, kind of in the hype cycle, I was speaking to a program manager for a, an infrastructure owner, and they said, "When you've got a standard, we can just comply with. And we just say, give us that, let us know, and and then we'll do whatever it is that it is. Like I don't care." And then, <laughs> so that was that was one view that I I've received. Yeah, right. Of course, yeah, you've had the, the Flex standard that's come out. Is Are anyone using that standard that you know of? Jonathan's shaking his head. I'm going to say, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say no, because they, they're they not really standards you can put on a project. They're kind of yet anywhere. It, is there a sense that, I mean, I've just posted in our chat here, digital twin washing. You know, I came across this article today, some yeah. fantastic mobile LiDAR scanning. Right. Yeah. But it, it rapidly becomes building a digital twin. Does, you know, does the, does the flex standard not at least start to corral people in the same neighborhood of what this concept is and what it can do? I know it's very high level and principles like that was the intent, right? That was the, the intent because I thought internally. So that was kicked off by our very own dear Neil Thompson when he was program lead at uh, Center for Digital Built Britain. And, uh, there's always tensions when you go into a standards meeting because standards people generally want to standardize, right? That's what they want to do. So uh, Mm -hmm. it was really important to get it to that level where we can agree what it is that we're talking about. But I think my criticism internally and now externally was that um, when you do that, it's highly accurate, but quite difficult to communicate. So you talk Mm -hmm. to five and ten percent of people really know what that means you when they read it they know what they know what it says because it's written in very precise language so it's it tells you exactly what a digital twin is so it's doing its job but it doesn't help with that wider narrative you know it puts that pin in the ground so that's why you know like you say jonathan it's not gonna you can't implement it on projects in a sense of if i do this i will get a digital twin out of the end but i think you could say we want a digital twin as defined by flex 260 mm-hmm. so i think you could set a requirement with it but there was a, a roadmap wasn't there in terms of i know dan ross to sort of develop that and funding has gone away for that and that was the last time i spoke 
with the uh, standards crew. Is that still the same in terms of none of this new work is going to pick up with the, in terms of we need to get some digital twin standards I th- organized I think, and sorted? I mean, love you, Dan. Love you, Dan. I know you're out there. I know you're out there. Um, from uh, my perspective, I think, and Dan and I do actually see eye to eye on this now because I've always been anti-standards as a knee-jerk reaction and I've come around to the need for them. We need standards for different purposes. And I think standards for best practice can only happen once we've established best practice. And I don't think we've done that yet because I think, like Jonathan says, we're only still seeing them be implemented as you know, alphas and betas at the moment. It's not going into full-on production systems very often. Um, certainly across government, you know, they have lots of test cases, but it's not being rolled out. So I think we need to set those standards as and when we we kind of get to that point. It's a very difficult thing to take through, though, because like most teams, unless you've got a client that's like, I want this, I want this, or an owner operator that wants it, the way the UK tends to deliver projects in, in pots of rebistate not not to three and then kick it over to a contractor, that the whole thing it can get quite lost. So it's very rare. And it's why we've sort of digital service WSP has not got a huge amount of projects where this happens because there's very few teams and projects where we can sit with a client early on and then work through that strategy to the handover and actually physically flick the switch at the end because it's a lot of years. It takes a lot of years to take a project from concept to handover. So it's if you think about even even projects that were the concepts in 2019 are now starting to get to the point of practical completion so it's it's not something you can do in six months it, and you can't really retrofit them into it's not something you'd quickly retrofit either jonathan is there an element of bim helping here or has it been an on-ramp for digital absolutely a- absolutely every single project yeah. that we've got a pilot of is fundamentally foundation is the delivery of bim on that project to yeah. a good standard to the 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 uk bim framework um now, this, 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 depending on what the, the twin solution is, there's sometimes some cross-mapping of data standards, but because the whole thing is structured in a nice manner, you can then cross-map that to whatever setup the twin is or the, or the platform that's enabling the twin. And that, and that extension to digital twin, whatever we define that as, is that, is, is that sort of extra well-defined? Like, do we know, do, do we know what that is? It's different on every project so at the minute, sadly. Um, I mean, that. I mean, see, see, therein lies the problem, is it not? I mean, it, I, I understand things being contextual to site and project and things like that, but and, and that's why we sort of, you know, Gavin and I try and use this capability model approach to digital twin. You know, BIM, BIM is an import, it can do so much, but, you know, it's these three additional capabilities that really fire up, you know, twin-like outcomes or twin like performance i mean that that that, that's been one of the challenges i think that a lot of people have just gone wow don't don't tell anyone but kind of digital twins just bim you know so we're doing that so we're kind of okay do you get any of that (laughs) yeah we've had that we've had that argument because you know going back to the origins of digital twins they were using it for simulation of their designs for things that are going to go into space so they were like we we had a physical twin of our moon lander or orbiter or whatever it was and so we made a digital one so it's a digital twin and then we came along ages later and we're like bim and that's basic so from that sense bim it's the same thing right it's it's literally the same it's it's two concepts colliding and that is kind of caused confusion, I think, for us because now digital twins have moved into that, you know, in the Flex 260 standard. It's about here's a real thing, here's a digital version of it, and there is an interaction back from the physical thing with the real thing into the digital thing, and then the digital thing can influence and change how the real thing behaves. And that is not been, you know. Yeah. No. And, li- and listening to us here talking terms of stuff, <laughs> You realise how sometimes the industry is the same worst enemy. Well, Henry was using his hands to describe. Yeah, it as yeah, well. I was. He didn't, he didn't mention. He didn't mention the new term that we'll come up with as well. The digital shadow as yeah, well. Yeah, I've, I've, I've tried oh, to ignore what? that. I tried to ignore, what ignore is that. that? But if you start talking to executives, C-suite people about this technical thing, it just becomes really off-putting for people. So it's really mm. a lot of the art, and especially the work 
that I do is try and simplify this and try and play it back into whatever their strategic objectives are and how data and capability can help mm. support their objectives. Because we just, we're our own worst right. consultants, vendors, we're all guilty of, of that. And we need to do better to because we need to bring new people into this conversation and it doesn't become, you went to an event uh, you hosted, Henry, some of the events, um, can become a bit of an echo chamber where mm-hmm. people are telling the converted in the room exactly what they believe in the term. So it just becomes this sort of internal narrative and sort of uh, and not very inclusive in terms of how to move things forward. Is do you find that a lot with the events in the UK are, are similar to that, or you see you always see the same people. You always see the same people. But you, you've uh, bubbled up a little question in my mind because I've always thought that digital twins tell a better story than a lot of other approaches and i think that's why they're useful um and then we're trying to turn it into something technical so gavin what is the story that that you tell what is the the conversations that you have because i think it's really important for people to understand that you know we're trying to solve problems here we're trying to make the world a better place that's what this is about yeah well we we try and convert it back into a business sector, whether it's triple bottom line in terms of improving productivity, deliverability and sustainability and how those use cases can then support their, those outcomes. So we don't necessarily talk about digital shadows, digital models, ontology, interoperability, et cetera, et cetera. It's really about demonstrating how data and information, what you currently can't do at the moment that you can do by visualizing, integrating, connecting that data and then analyzing and simulating to help support that, that that problem solving. I think what has been interesting though is here in Australia, the amount of business case work that's been done. Previously, BIM here in Australia has been very bottom up with a few exceptions, but top down, but predominantly it's very contractor, consultant led, and there'll be some discretional work that were done in agencies where they'll create a information requirements document and throw it out and then that's it the job's done whereas digital twin has been large amounts of business case work done 40 50 million dollars um taken from treasury to to imply that to make to try help uh, better deliver public services so i definitely feel like the narrative has helped better than bim in terms yeah. of the, even just the, the, the term digital twin what we've got to do better is communicating back that into a, a business articulation as opposed to a technical conversation and i think some of the the events can be guilty of we just end up in this internal combustion narrative discussion and i think yeah we yeah it's uh i do love i am very guilty of loving to go toe-to-toe with technical people uh despite not you know uh, you know, kind of doing the leadership stuff. I like to much <laughs> want to get in there and be yes. like, no, I can, I can win an argument too. And it, you know, it's self-defeating because it, you just, if you walk into that room as a senior leader, you just see technical people bickering. And you're like, cool. All right. Well, I came here to solve some problems, guys. That's so. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for making it less clear for me how how we do that. Um. So I think, yeah. The I do think you know when you when you're on the inside of things, it, it's sometimes difficult to see that the big picture. I I do think kind of going super big picture that CDBB did do and the National Digital Twin did in its early days uh, has I think helped other countries uh, kind of develop an approach because that's what it was looking at. It's like what are the principles? How are we approaching this? And that is informing these different departments. So, you know, DEFRA are doing work on digital twins. You know, there's lots of departmental work going on. And so it is an approach that is, I think, working because it does have uh, an overall buy-in. Here is a, uh, here is the world. Here is what we understand about it. And here is how we need to inform it better um, and make better decisions. I've got a question for you. Go for any For any listeners that want to go and see a digital twin, where would you direct them in the UK? Depends whether they want to see a real one or not. Because everyone wants to touch, everyone wants to touch and feel it, right? You know, I, I want to see the tangibility before I buy in. Where, where do you go to see a digital yeah. twin in the UK? Dif- well, okay. So do you want to see a, a there's a, it depends on what you're defining as a digital twin. So you want to see a, 
like a system that's linked to a real like an asset or do you want to see like the spinny web model or do you want to go to the physical building because there's or the physical asset because there's big, a couple of different big, things they're big because <laughs> because sa- sa- sadly sadly the non-real the non-real digital twin that's using dummy data is probably the best example of seeing one that could potentially be but it's not real data so that kind of kills it a little bit i still think ibm's um ibm's smart city um concept they did in hersley is still one of the best examples of what what a, a digital twin city could be where they had that like command room that was kind of connected to the city of london and they were demonstrating things like crowd control during protests, controlling the traffic lights, seeing uh, the sentiment of tweets, and managing situation. Like that was a really mm. that's a real cool example, and that is a place you can physically visit. And I think mm. did we visit it? Because I back in the the WYG days, Henry, did you come to that? Where, where was that? With uh, IBM Hursley when we were doing that really oh, weird work. I with, do. Uh, I did come to that. Yes. The yeah, the, that's such a cool uh, example, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that that that's for me. That's still one of the times I've been like, that's actually a really cool way to digitize a city because they had connections to uh, social media, to the ambulance service, to the traffic lights, and they were demonstrate. They did they had this example where there was a bunch of protests taking place in London City, and they showed how having connection to the city, uh, they can control things like um, where the protests would go by moving traffic lights to stop two protests colliding. So that was a really cool example of a city being connected. Um, it, it, it's, yeah, it's it's similar to one, actually, now that you say that, Jonathan, I think it was 2019, I think 2018, time is a blur. Uh, I visited the, you know, the control center that had just been opened in Dijon in France. And it was, a, it was like a PPP consortium with Suez and... Cap Gemini and a couple of others, and it was a purpose-built, just big room, and two stories with a big mezzanine open, and we were on a tour, and there were three, three sort of sections on the floor that were sort of glass partitions, and it's there was physical separation between the police, and then two other teams that controlled mobility in the city, and then kind of urban management like. Uh, bollards and cctv and a couple of other things and in front of them was just it was all you know everything on a single pane of glass this massive big screen and it was like you know everything was geolocated on a big map but then there was video feeds everywhere and while we were there a fire broke out in the city and the call came in through the 311 equivalent center upstairs it was it was transferred down to the police. They brought up CCTV immediately. They identified the smoke from a camera that was not far away. And then the teams that were over on the other side of the glass screen, they quickly diverted bus and traffic and things like that. And it was, I think it's still, like you said, the only time I've, I've seen that single pane of glass, city in operation, totally data-driven with within the responses that come the in the real time decision making to you know make things better um still probably the best physical somewhat representation of that capability i've seen so henry i'm mm. going to ask this question back to you in terms of what adam asked for from jonathan there is where does the uk look external to for inspiration around digital twin what other countries is inspiring the uk in their their journey Obviously, it's Australia. Oh, wow. We all love Australia. <laughs> no. um, I, I often think it's New Zealand. I often think it's New Zealand because they have, you know, like the Wellington Digital Twin, the Water uh, Treatment Works Digital Twin that I've seen. Um, they have the ability to make a decision and then just follow through on it and just do it. And they have done in multiple instances. Um, that's where I, I look to because there's just a, a clarity of vision. There's a clarity of purpose and uh, there's a real agile approach. You know, we, we mm. started with this, we did it for this purpose. You know, it came out the earthquake in Wellington and then it turned mm. into, actually, we could do this with it. Oh, we could do this. Two, and it just keeps Two growing. levels of government. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that's really, that's that inspires me because sometimes uh, 
I think we get lost in our own, uh, you know, internal, like where's the funding parts and where's the, you know, which strategic objective are we aligning to? Do we align with this latest ministerial forward? Da, 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 you know, all these, all, all these sorts of things. Um, so I, I think where's, where's the, where's the gravy train? Where's the next funding gravy train? I think is the, uh... where, where are the pots of money? Where are the mm. prioritized investments, Jonathan? Where are the prioritized investments? <laughs> Slash uh... funding gravy train. That's just uh that's yeah. I think that's one of the frustrations for, like that I that I find is is if the 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 money moves around so the 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 thinking moves around when there's like there's huge opportunities. I I'm say I'm in the digital twin fan club. I was always the not the skeptic, but the guy with the my clients are going to make me do stuff. How on? But I I thoroughly believe like the concept of the digital twin will have a huge impact on the global built environment once once the concept's nailed down and there's some examples and we've done we've broke things and we've got things right um, because that there's no other solution really to to kind of really optimize the way we 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 run assets so like the the the, the opportunity speaking of business cases and and removing it from the technical piece most most clients now want ultra slick um practical completions and assets that are commissioned really really well which results in uh an asset that runs really smoothly but then they want to be able to manage it and maintain it in a way that is significantly better and the opportunity for them is um you can see there's a trend now in the uk that certain certain clients particularly in like commercial development they're, they're getting better rent if they have uh, certain credentials, things like improved um, energy standards, improved net zero standards, better neighbors standards. So that that's one of the key drivers for them. They're saying if they do this bit, they can get better net operating income from that asset. So that that's the kind of business case that, that's kind of playing out in in vertical assets for major developers. Yeah. So right. that's the opportunity. Like the idea of connected power stations, connected hospitals, that still is, I think that's a, that's a, that's a way away. Um, but the idea of uh, a large owner operator that owns a thousand assets across the country, like starting to connect them is definitely achievable um, in the next few years in theory. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting you say that this, this is the way, because I think some conversations he, here, this, this part of the world, they're sort of waiting for the, the digital twin fuse to, to go out a bit. In mm. terms of some people saying, "Well, look, this is just going to be a fad. We're going to do for a couple of years, and there's going to be something else that that comes along." But I, I don't personally believe that. But is that is sort of is there a, a sentiment in the UK that this is this is the right approach? The industry of digital twins is coming, and I think it is. It is you look at things like the projected market values of these things, and the projects that are starting to adopt it. It's not going to work, and the industry of twins is coming. Whether you like it or not, it's that there, there's not really another methodology or solution that is going to allow us to achieve things like our net zero standards, our carbon reduction standards, our energy reduction standards. That there's no, we need digital twins to allow us to do that. Whether it's optimizing during the design phase, whether it's optimizing during the handover phase, whether it's allowing the asset to run efficiently, and you will need that as built digital twin for the end of end of handover or, or the decommissioning of the asset as well to know where the materials are, to know where the to know what you've got in the asset so that, that, that we need we go back to a podcast we did a couple of years ago can digital twin save the world and basically we need we need them we need them to allow us to achieve the standards that have been set from a carbon reduction perspective from an energy reduction perspective to allow us to decarbonize the built environment can i ask a, a real burning question can we talk about the cover art of your podcast sure which one <laughs> <laughs> so what's so what that, is that, the story it's I love it. I love it. So the, the, Sorry, the, the I'm, just, story, I'm just taking this. I'm no, just this, taking this, this is a really this is for a moment. <laughs> no, it's nice. We we need to we need to I think we need to de-stress on the exit ramp from this so, podcast. That's, when that's um, and, when and, the dig- and the music as well. Who who was responsible for, for developing the music? So Neil Thompson wrote the wrote and produced the music. He did wrote, it? Yeah, he wrote that. and produced that himself. Yeah. Oh, back in the synth days, but the yeah. the artwork came from because we. We decided the digital twin, the first ever thing the digital twin fan club did, we did it using the Terminator um film background. So yeah. we decided to become 80s theme. Just just as a good podcast, everyone was a bit weird. Uh, yeah. and everything yeah. we did was in that, that kind of artistic sense. And then Henry kind of took the all the artwork into artistic like, direction. Basically, yeah. 
if you see our, if you watch our online birthday um, conference we did, everything was like eight bit game, uh, and everything's eighties and kind of synth <laughs> and a bit a bit wild. But um, that that's where. And then Henry has beautifully taken that style into our current form. Mm. But it's all because it was ter- we based it on the Terminator uh, yeah. and the idea of Skynet. Yeah, right. Yeah. There's unicorns yeah. in here. It's um, yeah. I need to, fun, uh, yeah, yeah. There's some, there's some cool stuff. I'd like to thank Midjourney for uh, all of its its wonderful AI art has given us a lot. <laughs> it's, it was fun. I think you know it just represents who who we are, and I think that's our identity is that you know we move fast and break things sometimes intentionally and sometimes just with our elbows as we walk by. Have you got a Have you got a favorite episode? Oh, well, I'm going to have to put that question yeah. back to yourselves as well about your own podcast, because we, we talk way too much about us, guys. We need to hear more about you two. Um, I I think for me, well, I'm just looking at what's performed well. I've got the insights <laughs> up right now. Uh, I like the ones that do no. well. <laughs> I, I, really, I really liked one that Gavin did on our DBA podcast with Marlborough District Council. It was just... I mean, I love them all, of course. Like my children, I love them all equally. But it was kind of just so authentic hearing Stacey and Brenda just kind of roll through unscripted the journey. And I think given that it was just them riffing and sharing how it was, how it went down, what they'd do again, how they'd do things differently, as as a, I think as a listener, when I listened to it, it was just like, yeah, you know, that was just like awesome. The uh, well, our second most popular. So, the first most popular is the first episode, which is not surprising. The second most popular, because I'm not answering the question here, being a politician, is <laughs> yeah. uh, the Will Digital Twins Save the World podcast that we recorded at Digital Construction Week. Yeah, and that was a great conversation, actually. And lots of people have, have been talking about that. So, I think from my perspective, my actual favorite, favorite, favorite one, I think it has to be about a combination of the guests, the content. So I think it is the uh, Wellington episode, City Digital Twins, Wellington COVID and Quakes. That was my favorite. Yeah, right. Was that with Sean, was it? Was it yes. with Sean? Sean. Yeah. And I think uh, we had yeah. our own uh, Amelia Burnett as well on there. Yeah, okay. right. So both our favorite episodes are from New Zealand, from New Adam and yeah. from, from Henry. There you go. So, so it, my, my favorite episode, interestingly, is also from Jimbo, and we talked about mining in the Nether, Nether, Henry. Ah, oh, that was my second. I nearly said that one. <laughs> I nearly said that one. I absolutely. Mining I mean, it's Nether, probably Nether. a terrible podcast. It's probably a terrible podcast, but the content was actually we really had good. A, that was we had it. a great time on that. That was because that's in that Venn diagram of of great guests, great conversation, yeah. great content. Uh, that's with uh, Janine Clapp of uh, Digital Twinning Australia, um, mm-hmm. who you know has been out there digital twinning for some time. Yes, mining in the Nether, Nether, deep that, in mining. Yeah, yeah. That was a fun. I don't think you'd been exposed to too much, too many Australian uh, idioms, had you? Because she was just, you know, <laughs> just little, you know, out in the Nether, Nether, and I just saw Jonathan's face, like, what in the where? What is that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's it's, it's a really concept. Is it, yeah. well, where is it? <laughs> As a Brit, you can get from one side of the country to the other in a train or a flight quite easily. But when you talk about the the distances in Australia, like it's it's ridiculous compared to what we have to put up with. So when they when mm. they're working on mines on the other side of Australia, it's not as if you can go and visit. <laughs> well, 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 you you can fly in the air for four hours. You're still in the same country and you've seen nothing but dirt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Whereas we would be we would be in we'd have travelled across fourteen different we'd have crossed a couple of continents in 14 countries by then but mm. so it was interesting how they were using digital twin technology to monitor mines and manage mines and improve the efficiency of mines so when people talk about the uk being industry leading like we, we've done some really good concept stuff but there is amazing pockets of brilliance around the world with with this thing and that's why i took from that podcast yeah yeah mine mining has certainly you know whether it's digital twin whether it's iot whether it's robotics automation in australia a lot of paths lead back to mining um, private sector led, you know, you know that you turn the dial and a nano centimeter, and you know it's the difference between four billion dollars and eight billion dollars. So optimization yeah. and efficiency is just is just king. Uh, agriculture getting getting there as well a, a, again, which is sort of one of those 
uh, industries that, particularly from an IoT perspective, um, is is really is really sort of you know leading class as well. It's just uh, it's just cities and and government. It's very complex. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll, we'll I'm get just there, gesturing right? my head there. Yeah, yeah. And government. <laughs> I, I think I think ultimately, you know, I think it goes back to what Gavin said. We need to tell better stories and i think that's is what digital twins does do because we when we focused when when things have been completely technology led it doesn't solve the problem at hand and ultimately people solve problems and ultimately it's about making decisions and so it's about making better decisions and i think that's mm. uh, i think we need to uh move our vision up so you know, there's there's uh, the Gemini principles work. That's kind of a, a connected vision. But I I I am uh, I am going to start pushing this soon. I am pushing for uh, what I call responsive infrastructure, um, it, in the sense that we need infrastructure that allows citizens to live their lives the way they want to, that can responds to climate change, that uh, you know, as in it reacts and it does a thing when it knows what's going to happen. It can be responsive. Um, it can prove that policy works. When you go and implement a policy, it's sometimes five years down the line, you're like, oh, that didn't work. Whoops. Mm, mm. Um, and it's responsive to infrastructure owners and and you know, and kind of uh people who have big, big jobs to do that they can change how things work and know how it's going to work and see how it works and make decisions in real time. Because as much as we simulate and plan and da, 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 it's about making our decisions uh, and our actions much more closely aligned. I think that's what it's about for me is that at the world around us could operate like Star Trek fundamentally. It could be, I ask a question, I get the answer. Hey, do the thing. I've done the thing. You know, just that real close interaction between uh, how everything is managed. Because we are we are light years, to use the Star Trek analogy, uh, from that at the moment. And we have all the technology we need. So I feel like that narrative of um, having infrastructure become more responsive is for me, I think that's where we need to go. And I, I'm sorry if I am going to be now jumping on the, ooh, inventing new terms, which I've always been against. Um, I do think that Digital Twins is it is another layer up from BIM. So BIM was a layer up from technology. BIM was like, we don't just need technology. We do need technology, but we need a process. I think Digital mm. Twins has turned that into a much kind of this is how the system works and this is its purpose and this is what it does and that's great i think we need to go up another level to what do we want what are we trying to achieve mm -hmm. what is our goal here knowing what we could achieve knowing that we have all the technology we need now available to us to manage our assets better to really know how much carbon is being produced we could do all of that stuff now but yeah we have to go and do it yeah, Gavin and I recorded a podcast just the other day for season two, yet to be released, around AI in the built environment. And mm. I mean, we went for like 45 minutes and we didn't even start to even scratch the surface. And I think that's that's going to be a really interesting space as well when you start talking about twins and ecosystems and connecting things. Is the AI in insanity going berserk over there as well? So I, I know what, absolutely I, crazy. Yeah. Everyone wants an AI. Um, yeah. I, I, everyone's there's the AI startup spinning out. Uh, yeah. I'll tell you the problem. I tell you the problem that they need to solve, and this is the this is the core issue. The reason that most implementations of you know large language models and uh, you know like the art bots, etc., because um, you know AI is many things. Um, the reason that they work is they have access to a lot of data and training sets is what we need. And um, we don't have that. We don't have those large training sets. N-Plan is a great example of uh, an organization that took training sets and made a business out of it. They created a, a 4D, you know, a time planning tool, scheduling tool that used loads of other scheduling data to predict how scheduling would go in the future. And if we want to unlock this space and we've got to unlock the data 
that's the, oh, you know, I love that. that's I, the issue. I love I love that idea, you know, predicting the future. Like I'm I'm trying to keep a straight face here. <laughs> Seriously. But, but Friday, yeah, I mean Friday, Friday evening. Friday evening, I know. No, but, don't but make, both, no, you know, uh, give us both barrels. Go on. <laughs> it's 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 um but yeah, you know, it comes into the quality of data, doesn't it? You know, there's part of me that just wants to I just want to get off the rat race of the craziness of the thing that we love in this digital built environment data led thing and just let's just, let, let's just build our data literacy let's just sort of kind of start yeah. with the fundamentals you know there's just those days where you just go oh just understand what you've got you yeah. know just kind of clean it you know structure it just kind of you know let's walk before we run before we fly i think that's i think you're absolutely right i think there's you know, a, a lot of senior decision makers around the UK who don't know what data is, they don't know what it's for. Um, it's either a risk and that's it, mm. or it's a valuable mm. asset that therefore must be locked in a cupboard. Um, but that's not how data adds. That's not how data has value, is it? Is by sitting in cupboards. Um, mm. Ian, Ian, Ian Gordon will be quaking in his boots listening to this chat on, on data. He'll be getting very excited about ontologies. Let's give Ian a shout. Ian Gordon is is out there, (laughs) you know, in the Houses of Parliament of all places. You know, he's he's going to have to uh, be out there making this case every day. You know, his his job is going to be fighting for data. Ultimately, is he your data champion? In, he's the he's the head in, of data in at um, uh, R and R. So he's beyond champion. He's the data overlord. Yeah, okay. He's on the coal face. He's the data. Uh, data. He's the data ontology overlord. He's a perfect he really member is. for the fan club. He he's, is. A, he's the biggest fan. He is. He's, he's also a significant contributor now, is uh is Ian. Yeah, yeah. I, I follow him on LinkedIn and he, he does post some 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 good stuff. <laughs> he's got he's been told off a few times, I believe, for mm. his uh his online content. Well now. we need more people like that that don't <laughs> conform, otherwise things don't progress, do they? So, so I suspect, Gavin, you're getting nervous that the cricket's starting soon. Uh, I can see your eyes wandering to another screen. Well, I wouldn't say nervous, <laughs> um, but yeah, maybe a bit, a bit apprehensive how day three is uh, going to go in, the, in, in sorry, day two in the, in the in the third test. But before we go, what does Digital Twin Fan Club look like moving forward? I want to do more and of this. More events. Well, well, well. Henry has accidentally, on purposely, become the face of digital twins in the UK, haven't you? Like, if, if there's anything right. digital twin appears, Henry just appears. It's like some kind of magic trick now. Um, I, th- I think we would like to do a physical event again. I think at some point because that's that's what it was all about. We always wanted to be the open place to talk about digital twins in a fun way, mm. um, and not make it serious. And you have to have a certain title to come and speak with us. We'll that's have what to the first. We'll have to compare notes. We've got something mm. in the, got something yeah. in the in in the wings at the moment. We've I know. Started. I already We've know about know. that. So, somebody told me about it yesterday. Oh, stop it! I Who didn't know they did. That? Oh, <laughs> telling tales. Eh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, anyway. Well, maybe no, we, no, should, we, maybe we look forward to sharing something beautiful. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Well, I think Adam and I are tired of the same the same crappy events. Well, well, just more around. Here's your sponsor. Here's the 20 minute boring slide deck. Yeah. And here's another 20 minute slide deck. Oh, we're going to break and we're going to have a panel. I think people are, are wanting something different from going to an event rather than just having the same. They want education, don't they? I think people yes. want education rather than um, Correct. sales pitches. Correct. Uh, but it's yeah. very difficult. Totally. Henry and I can put our events business hats on. It's it's a very different difficult business model to play because you have to make people pay to attend if you've not got uh, like a sponsorship slot. But that needs to change. You're completely right. Like the idea of just being sold software hurts people's brains and it damages events. So the idea of creating like pure educational open spaces where it's like it's truth and it's not like twin wash is yeah. is really important. Uh, um, Education is a key word there because that's exactly what Adam and I. Even the podcast is seen as education material because I've had stakeholders reach out to me of different things as well. Gavin, I've listened to all the podcasts. It's been great because I'm starting on my digital twin journey. It's been great to listen to all different 
so yeah, Jonathan, you're spot on. Education, people want to be educated in this area and the more that we can do to help that, whether it's through mediums, through podcasts, whether it's through uh, education training, whether it's through events, I think it's all needed, to be honest, and and the more the merrier that, that can that can deliver those those services. Absolutely. I think a key I... thing as well is, is a place where it's truthful and it's not overselling because mm-hmm. there's quite often a massive oversell of this stuff. It's like it will change your project tomorrow if you do it, if you pay us. And I think that's what the fan clubs tried to do because it's had people on the call face of the delivery of the policy as well as people that are on projects. So it's got a really good balance of of sense checking, the thinking and the delivery, which then creates a space for an honest conversation rather than just a marketing. I remember doing some, I uh, did a talk at uh, Digital Construction Week. I did a couple. And the UK Construction Week, this one was. And um, the questions were all about, um, but which which platform do you use? Do you use Azure? What's Azure like? How does that go? And I was like, I was lucky that oh, I read the book on Azure and I'd done some prototypes. So that was good. I could actually, <laughs> like, hallelujah, I can actually talk about <laughs> this one. Um, but I was very close to the edge of my comfort zone. And I realized that, you know, I, I've become guilty of, of the thing that I, I set out to stop doing. Um, because that is what y- you are rewarded for. You are rewarded for going out there and, and talking to people and, and doing exciting stuff. But at the Safi uh, event, so the UK Digital Twin uh, event uh, that was Tuesday and Wednesday. So there was the event Tuesday, which is very traditional presentations and panels. And then Wednesday we did uh, workshops and um, we had three separate workshops and uh, in Vicara uh, who have created a digital twin platform, Twinit, which is very built environment focused, did a, this is how to use the tool. This is how this works. This is how this is done. And it, it was really useful for the people that took use from it. But then there was also, uh, you know, simultaneously the uh, British Standards Institution did a, an earlier workshop that was really looking at kind of like the strategic alignment and kind of what we're trying to get out and what's the bigger picture. Uh, and so there were two very distinct groups of people. And I think that is what we need to manage in the future is getting those people aligned. You know, we need those senior decision makers to understand data, but we need to be ensuring that people have technical skills and, you know, YouTube is their only solution right now. Um, mm. And there is a better way. So it's okay. been an hour. It's been an hour. What an hour. We need we need another three at least. Yeah. I, I think starting. we should. I think, uh, I hope this is the beginning of something wonderful. Um, I've really enjoyed this conversation uh, with you all. I am, as is my tradition, just taking the lead on the outro when Adam was like, well, it's been an hour. I was like, I, okay, that's my cue. I can take my cue. <laughs> outro time. So I'm going to take the cue and I, I am going to, uh, I think, sign us out. But I, I, I don't want to sign us out in the usual. Hi, everybody. You've been listening to the Digital Twin Fan Club podcast because you haven't. You've been listening to the Digital Twin Fan Club podcast with our illustrious partners. So give it, give us a sexy outro. Well, friends, thanks so much for tuning in and listening to the Digital Built Australia and Digital Twin Fan Club podcast. It's been a delight to have you with us. We look forward to sharing more shortly. We hope everyone's weekend is a fantastic one. It's been a delight once again. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. That's definitely better than I would do. You, you did great. How are you? Well done. Well done, Adam. But you, you, you always perform well under pressure, Adam. Awesome. You were, you were, you were the right man for the job. Thanks. Thanks, Gavin. Wonderful. <laughs>